0: okay right here we go here here we go joining me today sean mcmorrow for a a tough through tender critical conversation the first ever series that we're putting out there Uh, and sean i'm so grateful that you can join us today how are you doing I'm doing absolutely fantastic, man, but I am ecstatic. I am ecstatic that on
1: this show, I'm, I'm a big fan. So I'm, I'm enjoying this as a fan and
0: as a guest, my friend. That's beautiful, Sean. I, re- I really appreciate it. You know, I've, I've known of you since 2009, 2010 hockey season here in the UK, where you played for the Belfast Giants, where you famously actually got your nickname, the Sheriff. Um, I'm wondering if that's a Todd Kelman uh, if he was there at the time if he helped kind of maneuver that but anyway um, I've known you since uh, since around then and so we've 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 I've known your story and and together I share with you that I play hockey in the UK we now have a shared interest in broadcasting and podcasting uh, we've got shared interests in Toronto at the bottom line and uh, Wayne yeah. and the gooch um, and unfortunately we've had some shared interests with the passing of a fellow uh, brother and um, and also we've we've spent we've been guests of our local governments um, for a little while mine was in uh, Thurlow penitentiary in st catharines uh losing our freedom for a bit so we have a lot in common um yes. and and I, I i i'm i was really touched by a lot of the things that you spit, said in your in your recent um podcast uh, on spitting chiclets and those are the, some of the things that i want to kind of dive into today in this yeah, thing sure. that i like to say it's it's these these tough, three, tender, critical conversations where it can get a bit vulnerable and, uh, and compassionate with one another. So, as you know, the format is going to be, you know, three periods, three 20-minute periods, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And, Sean, I'm going to start off the period now, dropping the puck. Here we go. Come
1: um, on, boys. Let's have a great game. <laughs> let's, let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Sean, what struck me uh, listening to uh, one of the bits that you're talking about in Chiplets was uh, growing up in Scarborough uh, and the the connection you had with your mother. I'm really interested in that, but I'm also really now interested in how did you end up in Scarborough? Because I believe you are originally from Vancouver, right? Yes. So
1: um, my parents, uh, Sheila and Paul are their names. They moved out to Vancouver, British Columbia in the mid 70s when things were kind of booming in that city um it it was getting built up there was a lot of job opportunities and both my parents had one of those they had both had job opportunities um moved out there as a young couple um had my sister in 79 i'm gonna do the the do the sports hockey terms because we always say our birth years right so so my sister was in 79 and i was in 82 my brothers were 85 and 87 uh respectively um after my brother Liam was born in '87. Um, unfortunately, my parents split up, so my entire mum's family is from Toronto. So my mom just thought it'd be best if we came back to Toronto, where she was from. So it was my mom and the and the four kids, um, me and my three siblings. And you know, this was this was this was probably in 1988 when we came back to Toronto. So since 1988, um, since I was six years old. Um, I've, I've been living in
0: Scarborough, a suburb of Toronto. So, um, you were six years old and your, your family, uh, your mom and dad split up. What was that? How did that feel at the time? You're, you're only six. And I know I've got a six year old in my life right now and their yeah. level of comprehension and love for a mother and a father is quite high. They really need that connection. What was it like for you to lose that connection with your dad?
1: Yeah. So I, I remember, um, like, like my mom did it very well. And, and and what I mean by that is how she told us, like what was going to happen. Now, obviously my, my two younger brothers were, were too young to speak about that, but my sister, you know, she was nine years old and I was six years old. Right. So I, I, I remember my mom, um, you know, it, it was a day that was I don't know if it was weeks before we left or, or a month or or whatever, but it was a time before we left, and 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 it was a time where it was only the three of us that were home. So I, I'm not really. She must have planned it um, where we'd have some privacy. And I just remember being in the living room and her t- and her saying to me and my sister, you know, we're we're going to be moving to Toronto. Um, you know, and your dad's going to be staying here pretty much. Like she probably just said it like the nicest way she could probably. And, um, I, and I just remember, um, and you know, and you know, she told us that everything's going to be okay, that she loves us. And like, you know cuz you we're we're learning now nick like how when things like that happened in the past how the parents didn't really know to make sure that the kids knew it wasn't their fault and and and, and this and that and and as a result a lot of people you know, got really disturbed upstairs, like if their parents split up when they were younger, because it wasn't dealt with properly. So I think my mom was—I mean, she definitely is ahead of her time, but she was definitely ahead of her time back then as well, um, because she did sit us down, explain to us that we're loved, and that you know there was going to be a change in the family settings and where we we're going to be located. And I—I I just remember, you know, my sister's three years older than me. I, I remember, and like you know, she's a girl and I'm a boy, and you know, when we're boys, we think think, think we're tougher and stuff and think that we don't need to show emotions but we were both very upset um I just I remember my sister kind of we were sitting on a couch and my mom was kind of sitting on a chair and I remember my sister popping up and you know walking over to her and giving her a big hug and crying and then and then like I I was a little bit confused right because I was only six right so you're not you know you like you understand but you don't really and, and I just remember thinking oh okay well you know, this isn't good. You know, my sister's really upset, you know, but, but I just remember it being a calm setting. And when my mom told us, and, and, you know, when we, the, the lucky thing for me, Nick is, is, uh, my mom's family's made up of, of, of three boys and three girls in her family. So I got three uncles and two aunts. Right. And my mom's kind of in the middle. So, so the uncles are all kind of around her age. And, and, uh, you, you know, I got my uncle, Mike, my uncle, Paul, my uncle, Frank, and I, I was just recently at a couple of Christmas, Party, so I've seen a bunch of them just a few days ago. But um, I was lucky enough to have a support system after my parents got divorced. We moved to Toronto, my mom's hometown. You know her family was there my aunts and uncles all all stepped up um my my grandfather and grandmother were still alive um you know i'm always telling the story about the saturday nights watching hockey night in canada at my grandfather's house well you know my grandfather was a big part of my life from when we moved to toronto as well and tom mcmorrow so um i had a lot of uh a lot of people to look up to and um, and a lot of support, my friends. So I, I I think I was one of the really lucky ones when it came to your parents getting divorced.
0: You you, you said something very interesting <clears throat> that even as a six year old boy with an older sister, you felt the need to to show some resiliency even at six. Yeah. So what was your life like? From I don't. It's hard to remember, but what were the things in your life? That up until even six years old, you were kind of given ideas around being tough. How did how was the the childhood early early childhood that you can remember to give you those ideas? I
1: think the best I think the best way to answer that is probably just the fact that I was the oldest boy of three at the time, and and and, and um, another really cool thing, Nick, that I got to experience was my youngest brother Liam McMorrow, Right now, this guy is currently you know he's currently seven foot two 300 plus pounds played professional basketball for 10 years he's about to become something else that i don't want to say because i'll let him announce it and which is very exciting but my point is 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 um me and my two brothers were all home birthed like we were all born at home with a midwife and, and the whole deal. My, my mom's a nurse, right? So, so she wanted it that way after she had the first one. She didn't like the hospital thing. So she wanted the rest of her kids to be born at home. So when I was five years old, when Liam was born, um, the midwife asked me if I wanted to cut the umbilical cord right and i would yeah so i was like i mean obviously she did it but like i helped her and she guided my hand and and you know so it was my my fingers that were on the medical scissors but she was doing like the you know the pressure but you know i say to liam liam the only reason why you're as big and talented and good looking and everything else that yours is, is because of me buddy it's it's the way that I did it, man. I did it a special way <laughs> right so but 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 that but uh, well I'm joking about that but that experience I don't know man I think it gave me it gave me a little bit of um pizzazz, or I don't even know what word to use for that but but I think that I that I because of that and because I was the oldest boy, I think those were the reasons why I kind of had this little bit of a tough guy start you
0: know, even at that age, which is, Mm. which is interesting. It it is really interesting. And I'm wondering like maybe now in Toronto at six, seven, eight years old, are you stepping into that kind of like, are you growing up faster than you should be at that that age? Are you be, are you experiencing things beyond your years? And, And then how did you grow into, into being a hockey player? So the hockey player thing is, is all, is all my mom,
1: right? That's all Sheila. So when we got over here, it was May. It was May 1988. Um, I'm a January birthday, so I just turned six. And um, so September, when the hockey season starts over here in North America, um, we were all enrolled, everyone except for Liam, because Liam was only like a year and a half or whatever, right? But but my sister, my sister, she played – I don't know if it was girls or boys hockey, but she played hockey that year. That was my first year, and it was also Patrick's, my my brother Pat's first year. Um, who's who's an who's another incredibly talented sibling of mine. He's actually um, he's actually the head of security for for XO. Um, which is the record company for the weekend, who's the number one R and B singer in the world, right? And uh they're 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 currently on a world tour. So I, I don't know if they're coming to Northern Ireland or not, but they're they're going all over the place. And uh and and so so yeah, the three of us started hockey, man, that's that that first fall. And it was just my mom wanting us to get into having every opportunity that we could. Um, and, uh, man, it was, it was quite, it was quite a journey, the the hockey thing. Mm.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and then back to that other question, did you find yourself growing up fast? You know, like those things that like experiencing things that seven and eight year olds should experience. Did you skip that and go into, I'm going to be big brother and, and almost like take that role of dad.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So now here's the thing. I, I believe I did somewhat, Nick, but it was, I think, on purpose, maybe, because now we're getting into it, right? And this is awesome, Nick. This is a really good show, buddy. Um, so I think my mom got us involved with as many things as possible to try to help us develop extra skills because we didn't have our dad with us. I think that may have been the reason. And, and I'll tell you some of the things that I mean by that. We went to a lot of camps, like like sports camps, summer camps. We were obviously doing the hockey thing from the first opportunity, the first year that we were in Toronto, right? So we did so many extracurricular things, Nick, and got to be able to develop skills like – meeting new people and being able to get along with them right away like you go to a summer camp as a kid as a six or as a seven year old so let's say it's like a ymca camp or whatever so you go to the camp you're seven years old you're miserable because you want to play nintendo and you um your parents are making you go but you go and, and, and you're meeting this new group of kids and you have no idea who any of them are and by the first hour you're now best friends with half of them and you guys have a whole week of incredible ventures and going on walks and learning about snake skin and, and 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 being able to portage canoes and doing all this crazy stuff when you're young right and, and the other kids aren't doing that you know what i'm saying and then on top of that you're you're now starting hockey and all of us okay so i wasn't the best pat was the best my brother patrick he was a incredible incredible kid athlete okay and he was the best when we were young i was good but i wasn't like pat liam was good but he wasn't like pat but we were all good my sister was was phenomenal um g- g- girls hockey player and, and she played with the boys a lot and i got to play with her on our elementary school team we were defense partners she's in grade eight and i'm in grade five the first year that our school had the, had the hockey team. So that was pretty cool as well. But, but yeah, man, now that you got into that, you opened up, you, you opened that up. I I think she got us involved with just as much stuff as possible. Like, I don't even think it would have been possible to do more things than me and my siblings did. Like, if you looked at a calendar of a summer, it, 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 like hockey like took up a lot, but then everything else was filled with like these elite sports camps and <laughs> I know my mom enjoyed the little bit of a vacation when we were all gone, right? Because she's four <laughs> kids. And 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 she got remarried when I was 13, Nick. When I was in grade eight, okay. she got remarried. Um, so there was, I'm trying to think of how many years, from six to 13. So that's seven years. So it was seven years um, before my stepdad, Ernie, was part of our family. So, um, that was a long answer, by the way. From no, your no, original it's, it's
0: good question it, it, the thing is, Sean, is that what you're saying is so familiar to me right now because I'm going through these things. so this is a it's a podcast about this conversation, but I also want to learn some stuff here. I hope you don't mind because but your experiences are, shows, are helping Nick. yeah, your experiences are helping me because I'm an Ernie, I'm a stepdad. And I want to know what was it like for you at that age of 13 to have another man come into your life where you've all of a sudden been, you you know, for a few years, you're alpha guy. You know, you were like, you know, the guy. And then all of a sudden Ernie comes in and he he's got this love with your mom. And then what how did that make you feel?
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, It wasn't easy for Ernie. (laughs) Now that I'm now that I'm older, I I just realized, I mean, I mean the way that it was set up Nick is it's like okay so so you have to imagine like like myself Patrick and Liam were all playing AAA hockey okay so so like that and like and, and like I know that you know I know that you know what that means and how crazy and competitive that level of hockey is in the city of Toronto probably it's probably the most competitive city for hockey like for for kids and then when I say triple a I'm talking about which is you know the GTHL now that used to be the MTHL and it's like a little NHL for kids in the city of Toronto that's pretty much what it is and me Pat and Liam were we were all good enough to be there right Pat was like the same as like Anthony Stewart and all these other guys that ended up going to the NHL like way up until he was like 12 13 years old like he like like my brother was incredible and 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 he actually helped me because his team and 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 Anthony Stewart's a, a family friend of ours that ended up playing 300 games in the NHL um you know current broadcaster for sportsnet um uh, my brother anthony stewart and rain carnegie who's who's the grandson of herb carnegie that just recently got inducted into the hall of fame they were all on the same team and, and this was this is 30 years ago okay because i'm 40 now and and my brother's 37 right so so this is 25 30 years ago where you didn't see any 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 brown or or, or dark dark skin faces on the ice right so it was very rare like 25 30 years ago so now me as as one of those young brown dark skin faces on the ice i'm seeing my brother's team with three 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 light-skinned brothers and and one was a defenseman the two were forwards And like, they were, they were like the three best guys on the team. And and that made me feel comfortable because I was able to see it and know that it was possible and and know that if my brother is that good in AAA, then, then, then so could I, even though I was older than him, it it was a very weird dynamic, but, but it worked. And I talked about this because I had my brother as a special guest on my show and I was explaining to him how much it helped me as a kid, even though I was three years older. You know what I'm saying? So I know we're gonna get into that race stuff like a little bit later. So I'll 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 zip it on that. But 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 I just I wanted
0: to share that just because it was on my mind. No. It, it's beautiful. I want to get back to Ernie because he's got three yeah, boys yeah, yeah. Now let's get just, back to Ernie. Just, let's get he's back just, to Ernie. so he just met yeah what was it like for you meeting Ernie in the initial stages of having him, another man coming to your home. You know, and share the love with your mom that you've got, and and uh, I'm not saying take it. I don't know what it was like, but how did you how did you feel when all of a sudden your mom introduces you to Ernie?
1: So it was mixed feelings. It was feelings of relief of me knowing that now there's a man that's going to support my mom and love her. And you know, I was I was one of the older kids in the family, so I was seeing everything. I was seeing mornings that my mom was really tired and she was up late at like one of our hockey things last night now she's got to do a, a, like a full shift you know being a visiting nurse and um and man she's actually gonna pull it off as she's making these lunches for us and trying to try to set up the crock pot so it, it's the, the 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 slow cooker so it's ready at 4 30 because liam's got hockey at five and Patrick's got hockey at 630 and then I got hockey at 715 and then it just starts all over again. Right. And and then, so, so seeing that struggle and seeing that grind, you know, so it was a relief knowing that now, you know, two people are a lot stronger than one. And I knew that, that Ernie really loved my mom. And I knew that like, like, from what I, from what I would see, like that, how much he respected her and cared for her and, you know, took care of her. So like, so that part of me as a kid was was happy. But then unless it's man, unless it's like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, most sons are not gonna be impressed with another guy with their mom. They're always gonna want deep down, they're always gonna dream that it could just be their original family. But I mean, you're saying what you're saying. I mean, I'm dating a, an incredible woman that has an 18 year old son. Right. So, so I, I feel you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to hear me. You might not like everything that you're hearing. And, and it's not, that's not a hundred percent though, Nick either. Right. I think it's the majority, but it's not a hundred percent, but, mm-hmm. but like with us, it was like, you know, The other thing was, is that Ernie's not like the biggest athlete either. Um my mom, my mom's six feet. Ernie's probably like he's not a short guy, but Ernie's probably like, you know, five, eleven and a half, six feet. But like my mom's like, you know, a little bit taller. And you know, we're all really big kids and we're all into sports. And and Ernie likes sports, but he's just but he's not like he's not the same of us as like being like big guys and you know, athletic builds, and you know what I'm saying? Like he's a little bit different, right? So so like I mean out of the three boys, I probably got along with Ernie the best. My brother, Pat, like, it, it took him a while. Liam was kind of, like, in the middle, I think. My sister, I think it was a different experience for her, again, because she was the daughter. And I, I think my sister was, like, like the most probably easygoing with Ernie out of the four of us. Mm. Um, but I, I – um, so it was definitely mixed feelings, Nick. Like, I was so, I was very happy for my mom because I know how big of a struggle it was to have the four kids you know, and being a single mom for that long, um, my my mom made a lot of difficult and hard decisions that were that ended up being really good for us, and um and yeah, I I think that it was only positive for Ernie to come into our
0: lives, even if it took us a while to kind of warm up to him. I'll I'll end this first period with this question. Um, I've listened to you talk now, and I, I'm I what's come to my mind is that thinking about kids today and thinking about kids, even when we grew up and what kids need, what kids need to, they need love. Right. And we, they, and they learn by seeing, not by telling, by being told what to do. So what were the things that you saw that you can remember from six to the time that you meet Ernie and that you, you start to embark on your professional career. What are the things that you see that forms Sean of today? The things that you learned, your, your, if you want to call it your toughness or your resiliency or the, but the things that were really impressionable upon you and can you remember seeing it to learn it?
1: Oh yeah. So like, um, and that's such a good question, Nick. Um, so I think, I think the best examples that I could, that I could answer for that would be I saw resiliency in my mom. I saw really hard work. I saw, I saw like, like i saw toughness in in the uh, in the uh, in a way where we would go to arenas cuz like my mom would have like if if my my mom was always going right but she had three boys in AAA so maybe it was there'd be a day where she was taking Liam and Pat one after the other but then i was getting a ride from a family friend that was on my team that, that we live close to like, 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 like Barb and, and Leo Tiano, for example, that's a couple Mark Tiano was a player on my team. You know what I mean? But my mom was always going, and then it might be vice versa where, where she's taking me and Patrick, but you know, Liam's getting a ride. So, so like I would I would go, let, let's say my, my thing was over or or we were going to Patrick's thing and my thing was after, but I was with them. So we go into the arena. Do you know how many times I would hear parents say to my mom, Sheila, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I wouldn't be able to do this. And And they're only, and like, I wouldn't hear the whole conversation. I would just be hearing that from a six foot dude a five foot three mom, uh, you know, the, the the brother of the dad of the best player in my team. Like it was so many different people and characters that would say it, but they would all say it. Sheila, I don't know how you do it. So I knew that my mom was really tough. Now what makes her tough? It's because she can do all this stuff for us. She, she, she dedicates everything to us. she, she wakes up early stays up late does this does that i don't even know the amount of of loans and stuff that she must have got to like you know move money around to try to you know get pay this registration get these new skates do that like you know there was always things going right so so that that's to me that's toughness that's toughness man you're one tough cookie If you can go through life and give four kids everything that they need, you wouldn't even know. Like if you met one of us at those camps, you wouldn't know if my dad was a doctor and my mom was a politician and and I lived in Forest Hill in in the city of Toronto. You wouldn't know if that was a situation or if I lived in in the middle of some bad area in Toronto in Jane and Finch. like You would have no idea because we had – well, that's not a good example. You wouldn't be able to tell if we weren't from the Forest Hill because we had everything that we needed. Our clothes were all up to date. We weren't wearing the, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how she did it either, but she did it. And to me, that's toughness. And and that's what I saw as a kid. And and that's why when I was growing up and I was was developing these skills of being able to adapt to different situations to know that, you know what, things really aren't that bad. You know, like when, when you learn how to camp outside, and learn how to eat and make water clean to drink and be able to survive, and you're only 10 years old, you know what I mean? Because you learn that in a summer school, I think that makes you a little bit tougher too. So those things I, I was able to see and experience when I was a kid, right? And then I think that even things like that, Nick, like I know it's a little bit off topic, but even when it came down to me having to decide if I wanted to fight or not, because I knew that that was going to help me get to the next level. I'm like, you know what? I have the strength. I have the ability. You know what I mean? I was born, I guess with a little bit of a blessing. I got a pretty good chin. I mean, why don't I just do it? Like, you know what I mean? Because I, I, I learned how to adapt to different things as a young kid. So I can adapt to, you know being the guy in the team that has to fight too i guess you know what i mean like i like i think it helps like full circle when you're really young if your parents can really do it right and really give you the right attention and and, and i'm sorry for going off topic with that though buddy
0: no we'll, we'll we'll get into that and i think we'll just end this period by oh. getting it like i i already had your mom on a pedestal but i'm sorry her pedestals just grown a few feet in my eyes <laughs> Like, like, so um, on, on Mother's Day, I hope you give her an extra gift from me because uh, what an incredible woman to, to have done what she's done. So let's end the first period uh, with a praise to your mom. Right on, man. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Love that. All right. So this is our first intermission. Uh, what would you normally do during intermission breaks?
1: So just, I just um, a quick one yeah i mean i i i just like to well you know what Nick? it kind of depended if I'd already fought or not if i hadn't fought yet i'd be kind of i'd be a little bit anxious um kind of trying to reserve all my energy because it might happen right away when we go out there but if I'd already fought and i got that out of the way I'd be really relaxed um pretty talkative in the room and and positive <laughs> that's what I tried to be anyway <laughs>
0: beautiful well, let's let's just let's pretend you had a fight in that first, first period i'm going to start the second period right away because uh i want to get into this because i've got these questions flowing here so yeah. let's drop the puck for the second period okay um sean so <clears throat> i'm seeing that you've, you've you've learned a lot from from the matriarch in your family the the, the your mother and you you learned an awful lot around resiliency and about being able to take a risk, about being able to kind of process, why don't I just do that so I can get to the next level? What were the things that you saw or you heard from coaches, teachers, players that hurt you? That actually from those early ages, getting involved in hockey to the time where you're ready to leave home and be a professional hockey player. What would I, I say hurt, hindered? Because you know, as I was saying, we, we don't learn by being told. So when I'm told, there's no, you know, suck it, suck up your pain. Don't cry. You know, th- those are the things that I was told. And they ended up hurting me. And I'm wondering, were there things that you were told as a child and as a teenager and as a young man that ended up hurting you or hindering you growing up into an adult?
1: I think, Nick, that like, I think I was, I was pretty lucky, like in this, in this, for this category. I'm just trying to think of an example of, of something that, that I may have heard. And, 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 and one thing I can think of is when I was like, when I was, it it was, I was in, I was playing for my elementary school hockey team. So I, I was grade eight or younger. So I was 13, maybe 12. And, and there was a referee that was that was reffing the game that was actually a family friend okay like 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 he knew my mom and whatever and he there was there was like a little like like he has a son that's not the biggest in size And I was always a really big kid at that time. Size just meant everything in hockey. If you had size and you were like a, like a halfway decent player, you had such a big advantage over an elite player. That was a small player. Right. And then now we figured out that it's just, it's just the fastest, the fastest skater is going to be the best player on the ice now. So it really doesn't matter how big you are anymore, but 20, 30 years ago, it was just all, everyone had to be like Eric Lindros. Right. So this ref, he said something to me that was very inappropriate. And, and I think he, he said it because I think he was jealous that his son maybe didn't have my size. And, and it was just something that was just really inappropriate. So what he said to me was, he said, he told me that I made a dumb play as, as the referee of the game and that it was almost as, as as dumb as I look. Right. That was the comment to a 12 year old. Now, the way that I took it was because at this age and and like, you know what, maybe I should save this for when we talk about the race stuff or, or should I just get it out of the way? just go for it yeah because i think it's gonna fold into it so so the way that i took it is that he said it's almost as dumb as the way that you look was the way that i took it was that he was he was he was he was was bringing me down because my appearance was what like was different from the average hockey player that's the way that i took it and it was one of the first times that i'd ever experienced that and it was it was it was it, it and it kind of made it it, it, it it made me not realize, but it made me think twice about like if I really was being accepted by everybody or or if I really belonged a hundred percent. Cause I was young and, and it was, it was an authority figure that said it. And, and it was, it was very inappropriate, but for a 12 year old, it, it can kind of mess with your head a little bit. Right. So, so that's, that's the one example that, 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 you know, like something that, you know, that I was told that, that, that did hinder me because it, 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 it didn't make me think that I was the same as everybody. It, it made me think that I was different now because it was an authority figure that said it. And, mm. and like I told my mom, I told her, she was upset about it because she knew that this that this guy, you know, said, said inappropriate things now and again, right? But I think that she was surprised that, that he had actually said that. Maybe he didn't think that I would have heard it, but I did. You know what I mean? So
0: it is what it is. So as, as uh, yeah, you know, playing hockey in Canada 30 years ago, You know, um, people will generally say that hockey, you know, and I know Bob probably gets slated for this is a, is a, a wealthy white man sport. Um, it is expensive to play, you know, the amount of people who play it are generally, you know, they look like me. And, um, and there's been a lot of challenges with inclusion and diversity in the game over the years. And this is now 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, and you're a, a Brown bodied man. Um, playing hockey in Toronto when was the first time that you started to hear about your color okay so now this this topic
1: here when I when when I'm asked about it like what I've learned because because we're all learning when we talk about this right and when we have these discussions so what I'm learning is that the time that I'm that I realized that 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 I started hearing, noticing, experiencing things to do with with race was actually first on my own team. And I'll tell you why. Now, when we enter kind of like like mid school, I guess like grade seven, grade eight, grade 9 especially cuz that's when like if you go through the catholic system that's that like that's where you go to high school um the public system in ontario th- the same thing grade 9 is when you start high school and um at that age is when you see kind of different groups being 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 formed um you start seeing kids that you know start listening to the same type of music start hanging out with each other and then kind of like don't want to say naturally because it's not but you'll see like you know there'll be the the pigments will be kind of similar too, like you know what i mean like and, and and this will be a lot when 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 the new level starts like in grade nine in high school and and, and kids start trying to trying to trying to figure out what their identity is and and all that kind of stuff the same thing happens in the hockey dressing room because you're part of like if you're a triple a kid and it starts when you're nine years old before you go to junior you're playing in the same league same team a lot of it's the same core of guys you know some some, like you know the coaches will recruit new people some guys might get cut but like it's kind of the same guys for a lot of these teams so it's almost like an after-school program after your school so everybody's the same age you're going through the same changes you're going through the same things during the day as other guys on your team so what will happen is at that time is when i started hearing comments like what do you mean sean you don't like this type of music or like you know what i mean like like around that age and 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 kids just assuming that 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 because my dad's black and my mom's white but to society i'm a light-skinned black guy which which I'm which I'm I'm very proud of the way that I look. Most mixed kids are extremely proud of the way that they look, right? Some of them a little bit overconfident, right? In our minds we think we have the best of both worlds, right? So, you know, and and, and for some of us we do, right? And so so we're we're usually very confident and I think that that helps because when when people aren't familiar with something, they're not comfortable. People don't really necessarily like change because they get comfortable and what they and what they are. So so let's say we're 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 twelve year old team, and we're going to play a team that's in northern Ontario in like some little city near Sudbury or something. And now you got these same same age kids that that are you know starting to you know you know watch things on the internet trying to like uh, identify with themselves you know thinking they're starting to believe in certain movements or or whatever it is going through adolescence and now they're playing against me they've never played against a a big black guy before and you know what i mean And they're just like what the what the hell's going on here i've never even seen this before but but it's because they're not you know what i mean so so now you have to consider consider like an initial reaction from somebody that's never seen someone that looks like you before. And, and that's the other advantage, Nick, about kids like myself. Now, remember when I was saying we moved to Toronto because my mom's family's there, right? Well, my mom's family's all white. All my cousins are white. All my uncles are white. All my aunts are white. My grandpa's white, my gra- everybody's white, right? But to society, I'm a light-skinned black guy, but I've lived my life through hearing how my uncles talk, how they think. My uncles and my grandfather were some of the most incredible men. They didn't care what you look like or or where you were from. They treated everybody the same and they were very honorable people like that. So at the same time, I would also grow up hearing their opinions on certain things and, and things that even as an adult, I can respect, but like, they also had to learn things too. They all knew my dad. They loved him. My grandpa loved my dad. He sold them a couple cars. Like they, you know what I mean? They got along really well. And, you know, my grandpa would always say, you know, cause my parents were married for 16 years and like, you know, they, they, they were together for a few years before that. So it wasn't like they were just, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so, so my grandpa would always say, like, I I never have to worry about Sheila because Paul Scipio is there. And and like, I was born Sean Scipio. My mom actually had our names um, changed to McMorrow because all the McMorrows were in Toronto. And she just thought that we'd be more comfortable, which we ended up being. And I'm I'm really glad that she did that because it was a pretty solid move on her part, right? Right. Just being all my family being here. I have the same last name made us feel even more comfortable
0: and and Mm. accepted. It, right so so when was the first time apart from it in your in your changing room okay so, the so first when did you time, hear when, like, when did you yeah, hear I, that, it, that it cuts you you know where you actually oh i can't believe i just heard that okay
1: so so the first time was definitely a, a setting in my own dressing room where where i think it was you know we're getting dressed i think we were all like in grade seven so we were like 12 years old and the topic was like the way that it it was the beginning of the year so it was like people still had like their new school clothes and going through like the first week and i think we were talking about like the style of clothes and then a couple guys on my team just started making fun of me saying like oh you just want to you just want to look like a rapper and 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 you just want to act like this and and I remember thinking like, what, like, what are you talking about? And, and I realized that it was, it was, it's because of, it's because of my appearance That my dad's black, that they're saying this because that must be what's going on at their school or, or whatever. I don't know. But, but, but that was the first time. And, 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 and like, it, it made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, I, I was able to kind of shake it off because Nick, even like with the race stuff, like it's another form of bullying. Right. So you got to think like some people are able to deal with that a lot better than others. Like some people got bullied their whole lives and they somehow they were able to just shake it off and they're, they're not going to their employers and blowing everybody's heads off. Right. They were able to actually deal with it. Right. Where, where some people can't deal with it well at all. And they'll get really depressed and they'll, they'll shut right down. And, and so I was able to shake it pretty good shake it pretty good. Just like how, when I was eight years old, going to a summer school and feeling extremely uncomfortable and having a lot of anxiety because it was my first time going and anything that's my first time, for some reason I get a lot of anxiety, but then once I get there and and see everything's cool and then I start feeling a lot more comfortable, which is probably like most people's case. Right. So, so yeah, same type of thing, man. Like, like I, I, I think I might've learned to deal with the race stuff a little bit better too by going through things when I was younger as a kid that my mom helped out with as well.
0: When I when I was in uh, Canada, when I was in Toronto, I spent some time out Six Nations uh, Reserve and with the lacrosse, and th- I was hearing stories of that of of uh, Six Nations going to Northern Ontario and hearing a lot of racial abuse to the to the Indigenous community, like really hard. I couldn't even repeat it. Really, like yeah. really bad things that I could tell. I saw it in them. It cut them. It hurt them. Oh yeah. So. You like, did you hear things from opposing fans or players that you're like, why am I hearing this? I'm out here to play a game, you know, I'm out here to do my best, to make a team, to, to, to fulfill a role. Why am I getting this abuse? And I like I said, I could viscerally see it hurt them, you know, and I'm wondering if that ever happened to you. So um the best example
1: for that is I I'm obviously a big player, right? I'm a, I'm a big player. When we when we got older and I decided that I was gonna play that role, um lucky for me, Nick, like I never I I was never called any racial slurs during the game when I was a kid. And I I I but think that it's because I was probably the biggest person on the ice. I think that if if I was a small goal scorer that I would have been treated a little bit differently than the big stay at home defenseman that can literally have the opportunity to lay anybody out if they have their head down. And we started hitting, see, they changed it. They changed it all around. We started hitting, I believe when we were like 10, 11 years old. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, if you're going to take the risk to be like, Hey, you're just a stupid N word. And then that guy can be like, really? Boom! <laughs> you know what I mean? There's going to be a less of a chance that a kid's going to say, hey, you're that stupid N-word, right? So I think I, I was lucky and because I was one of the bigger players that I was treated a little bit differently. But as a pro, Nick, as a pro is where I experienced more than as a kid. And I think it had more to do with my role because now I'm a professional hockey fighter Punching guys in the face, knocking guys' teeth out, cutting guys, and 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 you know what I mean. And they're going to use their frustration if if they're an ignorant person and, and call me an n bomb or or this or that. Jury or right after the fight. Did you hear that? Was, oh yeah, there was an incident, and like and like we might as well just like there's like I I've kind of I've kind of protected it a little bit. You know what I mean when I've been asked this but but you know there's no point of doing that because it's it's all public knowledge but my first year pro Peter Vandermeer who played for the Philadelphia Phantoms um he called me the n-bomb several times and the linesman heard him and he got a two-game suspension and this was back in 2002 right so the, back then a lot of times things would be said and then you know, half the times the refs might do something about it. Like they did with, with Vandermeer, they gave him a two game suspension. Now this is, this was a year that he played for the grand Rap- grand Rapids Griffins, who was the Detroit uh, red wings farm team. I was in Rochester. We were in grand Rapids. I hands down won the fight. He was upset about it. He called me the N bomb. Uh, The the one linesman heard him, told the other ref, and he ended up getting a two-game suspension. Now, Peter Vandermeer apparently is supposed to be a good guy. I don't know him personally, but he did play for the Rochester Americans a few seasons before I was there. And Randy Cunnyworth, my head coach, who was the guy that informed me of the suspension— I was one of Cunny's guys, right? Like he was—he's my favorite coach that I've ever had. I had him for four straight seasons, and you know, he—we we got out on the ice for for a, you know just a regular practice, and we're all skating around. And Cunny kind of caught up to me, and he's like, "Hey, Mac, how you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm not too bad." Cunny, how are you? He's like, "You know, I just want you to know that, um, you know, I talked to the league about Vandy. Like he was calling him his nickname and everything, so I knew obviously they had a relationship." He's like, "You know, Vandy got a 2 game suspension. You know, Mac, I'm really sorry that that happened. Um Vandy has apologized. Um you know, when he played here, he he did a good job for us and and um I was very disappointed to hear that that happened, but I just want you to know that he apologized and uh and, and, and you know, that's pretty much about it. I think honey just wanted to kind of just like you know, tell me that there was something done about it. So I knew that I wasn't just invisible, but at the same time wanted me to know that, that he was very disappointed that it happened. So like that he had my back and, and that he was surprised that Vandy would, would do
0: something like that. Right. So, I mean. On a completely other scale, I was once in an office looking for, you know, trying to get a job. And, uh, and the, the guy said, you're, you're the way you talk doesn't fit implying that my North American accent didn't fit with the broadcasting organization. And in it, it, I felt like my heart, he just had his hand around my heart, like in that kind of the razor, the lost arc thing, you know, in temple of doom where they yeah. felt it tight. I was like, what, you know, and he, they even implied that I fake an English accent. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'm not English. I am me. If you like enough of me to be here, why have I got, why are the one element that makes me me? Why don't you like that? So I felt I felt it hurt. So I can't even imagine on the scale of 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 being called the n word. You know, do you remember like apart from imagine anger? Do you remember actually tweaking you in the body anywhere? Like, did it hurt you? Did it make you sad, angry? Yeah,
1: Um, I just remember. I just remember like skating to the to the penalty box after the tilt, and you know, like like how it. I mean hockey's so different now but I guess it's the same after a fight. So you got your linesman kind of grabbing you a little bit, making sure you don't like pull away. I mean I guess the guys wouldn't do that anymore, but you know they're kind of guiding you to the box. And then I remember just saying to him, "You guys heard that though, right?" Like I was upset. Like I I won the fight, so I, so I remember I was like pumped up about that and you have like your you know your own macho feelings after winning a battle, right? But then I was I felt violated because it was like it was like a cheap shot. Like it was almost like someone like, like as if like both refs had grabbed me by accident, and then Vandermeer was able to like punch me straight in the face while my arms were being held down by both refs. It almost felt like it was a shot like that. So I was just kind of like, I was upset about it, but but yet happy about what I just did. And, and I, I was just like, man, you guys, you guys heard him say that, right? He's like, yes, I heard it. I'm going to talk to the, to the other, to my officials about wh- whatever he said. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how I felt about it, I, I, I felt, I felt violated. I know what you mean though about, about there, there's like a, it, it, it's something it's, it's hard to explain. It, it, it's almost like um, when you have like a muscle spasm, like something like that, like, <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, an uncomfortable feeling com- comes across, and, and, and you know that that obviously it was absolutely inappropriate and unfair that this has to happen.
0: And uh, on that note, I'm going to end the second period. Yeah.
1: These periods are fun, buddy.
0: Uh, yeah, they say end the second period. Okay, so little intermission break um i actually i'll tell you the story when i played hockey over here in the uk a couple of guys would go outside for cigarettes and coffee um for, for intermission breaks i'm sure that doesn't happen nowadays i'm wondering did it ever happen in your days guys got going outside for a cigarette and a coffee um only in the L N A H. the quebec yeah. league yeah i bet <laughs> i like to see i imagine that still happens in that league nowadays eh Yeah, I
1: mean I mean it's it it just depends what team and who's who the coach is, but but like yeah, that league's just different, different all around.
0: Yeah. Listen, Sean, let's start the third period. Let's get at this, okay? Hold on a second. Okay. Puck drop. Here we go. Um I'm I'm learning an awful lot about you and I'm 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 feeling like I'm I'm trying to I'm feeling your story and how you ended up to get to where you are today. And it, it, it feels a lot to me like like you managed to find an identity for yourself in the hockey community that you feel very, very comfortable with. You know, and as I mentioned at the beginning, you did get that nickname. I believe it was in Belfast, right, of the Sheriff?
1: Well, Belfast is where it really got embraced. Okay. Like All right. Where it, like, like before Belfast, I was given the nickname Nick from like a few years before that but oh, the only pe- the only way you would know that is if i told you right where belfast they asked me and and i told them uh, the sheriff some people call me the sheriff and they're like oh and you know they ended up making t-shirts this badge <laughs> this badge right here it, it was yeah. made was was one of the belfast giants badges that that we would sell in little boxes like little ring like little ring boxes so even if I wasn't your favorite player you could put this badge which is a pin on your jersey even if you didn't want a McMorrow jersey so so yeah man we had we we had we had stuff and it
0: really yeah. became something in Belfast so it, it it hadn't gone anywhere until Belfast I do remember it quite well and I, I think even on the Belfast jersey you had to share like the badge oh, right yeah well well, yeah.
1: Like, well Nick I, I just yeah. got to show you because like, like I said I'm at I'm at my girlfriend's place right okay but like this is this is one of my Belfast Giants jerseys. There you go. Yeah. Right? And then yeah, bro, this right here is is actually the same as it like, like and we actually have a record with the Belfast Giants because there's no other player that has done that. Like and I don't mean the sheriff badge. I mean like a lot of the teams in Europe, they have this like this is the Dundee Stars jersey. Mm-hmm. um you know they'll have like sponsors and stuff like you know like like the Fona cab in the Belfast top sports with Dundee but the sheriff badge is a non is a non-sponsored emblem so apparently I'm the only player to have a non-sponsored emblem on his jersey <laughs> Beautiful. right
0: you, you've got a couple of records don't you you've got yeah. a couple of things but so, so i'm very so, proud of them but i'm sorry so, i'm going off topic no, again it's, for okay. you, buddy. It's, the, it's the idea of the sheriff the protector you know we we know in hockey the enforcer the guy i mean it is it is literally you putting a target on your shirt too i mean but i know as a fighter you're you know like oh, i suppose i want to ask you that as a fighter were you scared did you were you actually scared going on the ice sometimes knowing that you're going to have to drop your gloves against guys you didn't want to, or, or even guys you did was, did you feel fear? Oh yeah. I was,
1: um, I would get incredible, incredible anxiety and fear before every battle. Um, What, what I would do Nick to, to try to help that is it would start in the, well, we didn't have a national anthem in Belfast, but it would start in like the beginning of the game when announcements are being made or whatever, right before the puck drop. And and I would just try to, I would try to meditate a little bit and visualize, you know, the toughest guy on the other side, what it was going to look like once we squared off, like I'm, I'm trying to visualize it. So I'm used to it. And, and and I just, I have a couple different options in my mind what's going to happen. But, but, but I, what I was worried about Nick is okay. So here's my thing i've I always tried to be a different type of hockey player for my first year pro. so i I believe, and the sheriff thing helps me out tremendously because it actually puts me into the character. So I believe that I am a character that represents my team, my city, and my fans. And I try to do it at a better rate than anyone else in hockey. So that's where all the records come in because, I'm trying to do it like definitely every game, but like also like whenever it's needed Mm -hmm. and what, and then so it it will come to a point sometimes where like, like there was points in Belfast where I was doing so well that I didn't have to worry about fighting Mm -hmm. because the guys just had absolutely no intention of, of challenging me. So it was almost like I could almost have fun with it and i could just like actually play the game the way i wanted to just go out there and just try some maybe try a saucer pass because nobody is going to hit me nick i would play against some teams that that i would I, i would rough them up so much the game before that they literally knew that That if they came and even body checked me, that there was a chance that I could grab them, and they were so feared of that 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 it actually worked to our team's advantage because they were their all their minds were on what I was going to do, and then and then boom, we're up to nothing, and then there's no way they're going to come back because we have all these
0: great players on our team. I'm going back to you being like anxious, you know, during at the beginning, like, and that fear. Do you do you think it's healthy? for a person to feel such anxiety. I know some guys that would puke before periods knowing they'd have to go out and tilt. Do you think it's healthy for somebody to feel that kind of fear and anxiety in their body, which which can create deregulation of flow? Do you know what I mean? It could, Like like you tighten up on your stick, you're not gonna flow. Do you think it's healthy to have that feeling to then go along with the, the, the adoration of being a sheriff and filling that role? Like you say, you love to fill that role, but was all the anxiety worth it? Like, was it a balance? Or did it actually create a lot more anxiety and fear in you than it was actually worth?
1: Um, okay, so it, it, it's definitely not healthy to feel the things that I was feeling. Definitely not. I, I remember Nick, like... There'd be some like, I, I was always, okay. So I get the best way to put it. Cause like people are listening to this and like, they're really trying to understand like what we're saying. Right. So, so so I'm trying not to be too complicated. I was always willing to do it. But the thing is, is that when you're competitive and you're trying to like win a championship or like, you know, in the, when I was in the AHL, they would have these stat packs of the top five, top five. So I would, if you're in the top five for fighting majors and the top five for penalty minutes, you want to stay in that top five. You want to be number one, right? Cause that's how they would kind of like rate the tough guys. It's like the majors and the penalty minutes. So, so I always wanted to get one in, but like, there'd be times where like, it'd be the third period, Nick, there'd be two minutes left. It's a, it's, it, it's a two, one game. And then your team goes down three, one. And there's one minute left. So now it's like it was a one goal game, the whole game. Now it's a two goal game. Everybody knows it's over now. So it's like, all right, McMorro, whoever else, whoever else. So now you got to go out there and it's like let's say you've already fought like i've already fought but now i'm out there and it's like fuck we're down sorry about the server we're down to nothing we're down two goals now so now we gotta send a message message sending time is what they used to call it <laughs> we might lose but we're not gonna make it easy for them right mcmorrow get out there <laughs> it's like okay i guess <laughs> Right. So, so then you got to go out and, and and so now it's kind of like, so now you're feeling the anxiety because it's like, if I don't get something done, I'm going to get in trouble. But then you don't want to be dirty and just sucker somebody and make them fight. So you might be like, come on, man, let's, let's, let's go. And they're like, no, man, we're up to nothing. I'm not going you. Get out of here. And you're like, come on, man. I need, I need it. I need it. I need, I need you to go me. Right. they will be like, no, like F off McMorrow. I'm not, I'm not going here. There's 20 seconds left right Hmm. so then it's kind of like okay so what do i do what do i do and then it's like okay i don't want to hurt him i don't want to hurt him okay i'm just gonna i'm just gonna grab him and just throw him down so then it looks like to my coach that i'm i'm trying to get him to fight but i know he i know this guy's not gonna get hurt i know this guy i'm gonna have to play him three or four more times i don't want him to cheap shot me but what am i supposed to do that's anxiety right Mm -hmm. and it's not healthy no one should have to go through that i guess there's different ways of getting it when like i don't know if you're down by a goal and you're the top goal scorer and everyone's expecting you to score like but like this with the violence it just seems like a little bit more anxiety you know so yeah
0: it's a game within a game it is and you've made an absolutely amazing career out of it you know you are are the sheriff and you have evolved your 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 life, your your career, everything you've known as an athlete and as a and as a as an a, the oldest son of a family of some amazing amazing people, and and I know the end of a playing career always comes. You know, a player career always comes to an end at some point. When did you have to start to face you know phasing out of playing and into another life? We'll say,
1: yeah. So um, back in two thousand sixteen, Nick. I'm playing in, in for the Marquis de Jonquière in Quebec. And, and I get a call from my team saying there's an author that wants to talk to you. He wants to interview you for some book and make a long story short. It ended up being Ken Reed. Okay. Sportsnet. And who's, he's also an author has some great books out there. I'm sure you've read a couple of them. And, um, it was a book called one night only about players that played one regular season NHL game. And, you know, it might be a situation like me where I'm an eighth rounder and it was a long shot, but I was, I was able to get my game. Or it could be a situation where it's like a first round pick. That was just a big bust. And like, you know, what was the reason why he only got one game and you know what I mean? But he had this book of about 20 players. Very interesting. Don Cherry only played one game too. So he's in the, he's in the book. And um and so he interviewed me for that book. We had about an hour conversation. I talked very similar then to how I do now. So he was kind of like, you know what, Sean? I think you'd be a really good fit to be like an NHL analyst or something. And 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 you know what? When when your season's over, I know you come back to Toronto. Why don't you contact me? I'll give you a tour of our studio, and I'll I'll help you get set up with the interview process because I know that they're they're looking to have some interviews. I'm like, yeah, man, that's awesome. So that summer, I believed that I was so going to retire and become a famous famous sports broadcaster, starting at Sportsnet. Back this was back in 2016. So Nick to make a long story short I do I go I do the tour my season ends I move back to Toronto do the tour with Ken he treats me unbelievably gets me hooked up with this interview with the vice president of Sportsnet for September the 1st now I did my tour like in the summer so now September the 1st i believe i'm like i'm gonna get the job you know i got the gift of gab you know i played hockey for so long that's all i need to be a successful broadcaster that's what i thought at the time right so i had a great interview and one week after my they, they said you know you'll hear from us in like three to four weeks or something i don't know why it takes that long but that's kind of the process with these type of things which you know but so a week later was when they made all those cutbacks it was, it was shortly after Sportsnet had bought Hockey Night in Canada from CBC, and so now they were feeling the rift of all the money that they lost, and they must have had some big meetings and decided that they were going to do some major cutbacks in the hockey department. So they fired like nine big shot guys. This is a week after my interview, right? So Ken calls me and he's like, I know you must have seen what happened with my company. You know, obviously they're not gonna be hiring right now, making these cutbacks, but you know, don't give up, stay in town, blah, blah, blah. This is in 2016. So I ended up making like a couple of comebacks since then, Nick. Um, started my podcast, um, learned that there was a hell of a lot of stuff that I had to learn in order to be doing what I thought I was gonna start in 2016 and um
0: it's been an incredible journey man to be honest how have you felt though with like the identity of the sheriff like is he is the is the sheriff a guy who's on ice only or have you been able to take any morals or teachings or kind of you know being that leader you know out into your community and do other things yeah
1: so i try to make it full circle um like the best way to 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 explain the Sheriff is like, so when the sheriff comes to the rink, like everybody knows that they can approach him. He has to take pictures, sign autographs, talk, life. A lot of dads have a lot of questions about their kids' minor hockey. I think that it's if they're dedicated fans that are like season ticket holders, I just believe that there needs to be like a relationship with the fans, just like you would with anyone else at your work. Like, like if you work at a big company and, and so then during the game, obviously, like I told you before, I, I try to represent my team, my team, my city, and, and the fans at a better rate than any other hockey player in the world. After the game is the same thing. Now that I'm retired, I try to bring the same type of character to my show I try to treat people the same as I did when I came to the rink. Um like like my like it's the Sheriff podcast, right? So like this is my official shirt. So mm-hmm. we know that this is the the, the t- this means tough guy in the UK, the hard man. So I'm not a hard man, I'm not a tough guy, I'm not an enforcer, but I'm the Sheriff, right? So I'm trying to embrace this as as like this is my like my
0: t-shirt for the podcast. That's just so- your butt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that was just my butt song. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's there okay. It's go. a nice butt. It's all right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah, man. So so I'm I'm trying to embrace the character as much as I can. Um, I I I really have plans on being a motivational speaker nick um so i used to do that as the sheriff as the guy in the hockey team now i'm doing it as a retired former professional hockey player that has a lot of experiences that 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 lives out the sheriff character and and i and i want to i wanted to be that motivational speaker i want to continue to go into the schools and the hospitals i want to do anything for the better good and this show is giving me the opportunity to get some of those chances
0: the experiences that you've had over and I want to go 30 years I want to go from the kind of time where you're under 12 the experiences that you've had over those 30 years that you want to then take out I know you've spent some time inside I I I know you've had some some heartache from what pain I said the other day I made a a post about pain to purpose From, from what of your pain would you then bring your experiences and putting into purpose so that people don't have to go down and experience that kind of pain and then how would you express it as a speaker? yeah so
1: Nick the one thing is um you know like like I had my experience of, of being incarcerated uh for 20 months and it was two thousand it was between two thousand and twelve you know my first day I think was May the 30th 2012. And then it was around February of 2014 that I came back to civilization. So now um, that situation, that journey, uh, which was a, a part of my life, um, I own fully now, where before I would try to avoid talking about it, hope that nobody found out. You know what I mean? And I'm talking about even at job interviews, right? So like now it's like, I wanna be the best motivational speaker of all time. I wanna be able to change people's lives. So how am I gonna do that? Well, I'm gonna to have to own everything I've done in my life and even things that I'm maybe not the proudest of. I need to talk about that and and tell people how I learned from it, how I got through, how I got through it, what I did while I was there to make myself a better person, you know, and 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 how people could avoid having to go through that and to answer your question i had to i i lost everything man like i lost i was engaged i was engaged when i went to jail obviously i'm not married that didn't work out i was i believe that that situation really deterred me from having an opportunity to to be playing more games in the national hockey league um it has still to this day um deterred uh, has 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 eliminated me from crossing the the u.s border where mm-hmm. i had an, a, a great career in rochester new york i should be going to every year i should be going to all this alumnus stuff i can't even go man i can't even go to rochester man where, where i you know won two man of the year awards right so you got to imagine how much that affects me now don't get me wrong it's been 10 years since incarceration now i know that i'm eligible for for waivers and this and that and and, and i am going to get into all that that's only been been you know calendar wise available recently but for me it's like i have a lot of friends and loved ones in the united states that i can't see um i feel that in a way that i'm still jailed because of all the stuff um you know like there's been times where like there there was when i was you know gonna host ice wars there was an option to have a flight but it but it went through the states and i had to change it because i'm i would have gotten in trouble if if there had to be an emergency landing and you know what i mean because it's it's really it's, it's really bizarre that i have to go through all these things for a marijuana conspiracy charge that they said was based from 03 to 05 and we're in 2023 and and, and, and it, this is totally not the point. But cannabis is completely legal in Canada now, so it's very bizarre for me, Nick, yeah. to have all these restrictions. And I don't want anyone to have to go through stuff like this. And the biggest lesson of it all, Nick, especially for young professional athletes, is that when we're playing, we think that we're being protected all the time, right? When I was when I was in my early twenties, I smoked cannabis. Right. And at the time, it wasn't accepted, nor was it illegal in the United States. So if you did that, which many of the players did, you would find a place where you felt comfortable and you thought that people were protecting you. And like meaning, like not going to tell people that you're there, not going to take pictures of you, not going to whatever. Right. And, you know, I developed I developed uh, friendships that I thought were legit and genuine, and I I had two friends that I thought were my buddies, Nick. That you know where I got where I got the cannabis from, where I was able to 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 relax and feel safe and protected. And a couple years later, these same guys got into a lot of trouble, Nick. And uh, to get out of their mess, they pretty much said that they worked for. Uh, NHL star named Sean McMorrow and mm-hmm. that they were doing an operation and, and, and it, it was absolutely insane, Nick. And you know what? Sometimes if you decide to cross the line you got to be prepared for all the repercussions. And I really thought that these guys are my friends and you really have to be careful of who you hang out with buddy, because I had so many different types of friends and I, I was very arrogant in the fact where I thought that none of them would ever do anything bad to me. (laughs) And that was a big risk to take. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot I had a lot on the line. Right. And, and it was really unfortunate, Nick. And, you know, it was a conspiracy. It was a conspiracy case. Where in the U.S., you know, in order to charge someone with conspiracy, you have to have more than one person that's willing to testify that that person was part of the conspiracy, right? And that's what my two buddies were willing to do. I took a plea agreement, thinking that I was going to get probation, and boom—was I ever knocked out of the ballpark with the result of of me signing that that plea agreement. Big mistake, but it happened. And, um, you know, wh- what did I learn from it? You, you got to watch who you hang out with. You yeah. got to keep good circles. As they say, you're the average of the five people that you hang out with the most. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if people think about that, if you got a couple bad apples that, that you-, you just feel cool because you hang around them and you think it's okay, well, they're really bringing your character down, guys. They're really yeah. bringing it down and they're really increasing the chances of you getting in trouble. So you got to keep your friends legit you got to keep your circles tight and you can't be trusting things with your life and 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 that's what i did right so you know what i'm saying nick so like so like pretty much i mean while i was there i made the best of the time um, you know, I, I went, I played major junior in Canada, man, and, and I got traded a bunch of times and I'm not proud of it, but I was two credit short of graduating my high school when I started playing professionally at 20 years old. So mm. at 28 years old, I ended up, or sorry, 30 years old, I ended up getting my GED at, my, at Moshannon Valley Correction Center. Um, and then I ended up teaching the GED, right. And then I, and then I ended up teaching an exercise class, Um, I took a lot of classes in there. Um, that really helped my mind. Like I took this one class called Paradigm Thinking and it's like a cognitive um, Mm -hmm. learning, right? And I really learned what my values are. Um, I really learned what was important to me in life. Um, I realized why I liked doing all those public appearances, why I liked going into the schools and hospitals. You know, why did I like it? Because it's my passion, man. Mm -hmm. And those are my true values, right? And I really learned what my life purpose was by doing all these these things and you know i believe it is to uplift that's my life purpose right so once you learn all these things and and you really learn for me who sean mcmorrow was you know i i i realized that you know what um this is really unfortunate thing that happened but it's funny how life works and i actually gained a little bit during that time overall i made myself a better person i finally got that high school you know like diploma well the, the ged anyway and I learned a lot, man. I took a bunch of business classes, and mm. you know, I was there for almost two years. It was twenty months. and you know, I'm forty years old, Nick, but I believe you know, I didn't I didn't have one cigarette. I didn't have one sip of alcohol, didn't have one joint in twenty months. So mm. you know, that's
0: definitely not gonna hurt either, right? Sean, yeah, uh, you've got an amazing story. I'm gonna end the third period on the fact that you found purpose in your life, your your resiliency born of the love of a mother, the, the matriarch that has given you this idea of resiliency. And, and I love what you said earlier of like, why don't I just try it? If it's out there, and yes, it was a hockey fight, but it's something that is a, it's a hurdle, it's a challenge, why don't I just try it? And I think if you keep that focused in your mind of why don't I just try it? That's all we can do is just keep trying. So we'll end the third period there. But I do have an overtime question for you. That's been kind of bubbling away. I've heard you speak a couple on um, Chicklets here. I've listened to a couple of your casts. You've got a lot of energy. You've got a lot. You've got a lot, lot to go, right? And I think about this kid who's twelve years old, who hears from an authority figure, as an official, that you don't fit in and you have this kind of little feeling. And then you you, you grow into this man where you find a role of, of being able to fit into a team. And you said earlier, you found a character that is the sheriff. It seems like what did fear drive you, the fear of not fitting in to forming a character of the sheriff? And here's the tough question. If the sheriff is a character, who's the real Sean? Okay so
1: so so the the first question um 100% it was to fit in because i always felt that that like i had to be like a little bit better than everybody or like like if i made a mistake that it would be magnified larger um i always kind of felt like You know there was like like for some reason i always thought it was important to like shake all everyone's hand after the games even as like a 12 year old 13 year old like the parents and stuff like when i'd come out with my bag and be like hey how's it going I, i always felt that there was like a small group of parents that just didn't like me for some reason and i had to prove to them that that i was that i was worthy of being on the team like that's how i was thinking as a kid right so The sheriff thing, a hundred percent, um, like this authority figure and better rate than anyone in hockey and all that kind of stuff is, is like to just to ensure, to ensure probably right. Like deep down, um, I think that, I think that as a kid, the sheriff was somebody that, that I always wanted to be. The sheriff was like, like, like as a kid, um, I was a big Hulk Hogan fan. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm a real American, fighting for the rights of every man. You know, like he's 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 fighting for everybody, man. He's Hogan. He's Hulkamania, right? So I think I think it was I think I took a little bit of my Hulk Hogan, you know. I took a little bit of like guys like you know Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Will Smith, like just little people, and I kind of put them all together and, and cr- created my character and. And, and I think that, I think that Sean McMorrow is like the sheriff's coach. That's who Sean McMorrow is. He's the guy that guides the the sheriff. The the sheriff is the character for certain businesses and stuff. and, And Sean McMorrow is, is the guy that coaches him, um, that has the leadership skills and that tries to apply it through the sheriff.
0: How do you talk to the sheriff?
1: How do I talk to him? Like very motivating um, and uh,
0: and, and nice. (laughs) Okay. So one of my all-time heroes is Rocky. Yeah. Right on. Balboa. Yeah. So what I learned about Rocky in my journey of tough to tender or tough through tender, resiliency through compassion and vulnerability, is that Rocky, the show is about love. It's not about him fighting Apollo or Clubber Lang or uh, Ivan Dragoff. It's about love with Adrian and also yeah. him, him. Every time he fights, there's that big scene on the beach before he fights Clubber Lang with, a, like, with, his, with Adrian. And he's like, yo, yo, I'm scared. He just says that he's scared. And it re- just pulls through me all the time. And where he's about to fight uh, Ivan Dragoff, he says, if I die, I die. Like He's really vulnerable. Is Sean teaching Sheriff? Is there any vulnerability saying it's okay, Sheriff, to feel a bit of fear? And I got you, brother. I got you. You're gonna be okay. Does Sean talk like that ever?
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. There's a lot of um. I'm trying to think of the word uh. A lot of um, like safe, like uh, it's not the right word, but it's like a safety net kind of, um, you know that that there's uh, just 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 letting them know that everything is going to be okay because honestly when I was younger, I, I, I really wish that maybe that like if I had an older brother that was three, four years older than me, like how Pat had with me, like, I think, I think that little extra like motivation of don't worry, man, just try it, try it out, do this, do that. Like would have helped me out a little bit more. Right. So, so I, I, as an adult now, I try to apply that to these, these characters that I'm embracing.
0: That's beautiful. I, I think I've said it before, but like if you were to be Sean today and then see the Sean at twelve who heard that, what would you have said to him? Oh man, um I like I would have just said I
1: would have I would have I, I would say to him, just just try everything. You're you're good enough for anything and um and and keep your head up
0: and 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 run as fast as you can. <laughs> And Sean, today, I, you know, I, 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 hope, I hope, I and I'm, I'm sure in your evolution and growth as a man too, that you always have a safe person to be able to say, hey, I, you know, I'm telling the sheriff to not be scared, but maybe I'm feeling a bit of fear myself, because I That's know right. that that fear can drive me into some very dark and isolated places even today, and I think that you know I'll say this to you that you've always got you've always got somebody to talk to in London uh, England, if you are ever feeling yeah, a little buddy. bit scared about anything, man, um, yeah, you can man. always reach out. Let's hold each other through this time. Let's elevate each other. Like your mother on that pedestal, right?
1: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it, Nick. I, 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 I know we're going to know each other for a very, very long time. And, um, I, I really appreciate you buddy. And I, and, and, and this has been like therapy for me, this show This is I wasn't even a guest today. I was a client just getting
0: therapy. You're, you're an amazing man. And yeah, we'll, we'll end it at that. Thanks for joining me, Sean McMorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, and thanks for joining us, and, and thanks, everybody, for having us. Woo! Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it, buddy. You're the best. You too, buddy. Thank you.